coming up in this episode of Finding Common Ground. I got some real good black friends who are Republicans, and they're solid, good people. We just don't agree on a lot of things. You know, he, he basically implied they're going to overthrow the election. I understand that when, when black people see me on TV, they're proud. But there's also an expectation to represent it and to tell our stories. That's not America. That is not America. One bit. There are two sides to every coin. How do we deal with racial issues when they affect relationships? Finding common ground on all those issues that we come against. There's black and there's white. And I think as Christians, we have to learn how to get together because we're not in heaven. I've met more interesting people just by God just bringing them in. Republicans and Democrats. But a lot of times when it comes to race and it comes to culture and it comes to perception, even as Christians, we don't always understand. We look at it through our lenses. There's Bill. I grew up in a suburb of Cleveland called Parma. Uh, Any black the, people in Parma? There was not one. Not one black person, not Bill? Not one. Come not on, Bill, one. you got to have one, a nope. token black person, a token And there's Odell. I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina, public housing, single mom, divorced single mom with four kids, and I came up through segregation and all that kind of stuff. If a black person drove through the town, the police would stop and escort them out. Bill and Odell are finding common ground. A part of what we have to do is listen to each other, find the common ground, and question, not questioning you like you're on a witness stand, but questioning you for a better understanding. Father God, we come to you this day saying thank you for all that you do in our lives. We thank you for this great country. We thank you for our ability to speak our mind. We thank you for the ability to agree and disagree, but at the same time, we just thank you for common ground. So we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' precious name, we pray and believe. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you for the freedoms we have in this country. We are so blessed. Uh, One of the great freedoms we have is freedom of the press. Uh, I've been in countries where the freedom of the press doesn't exist or or is greatly throttled back. And it takes the spirit out of, out of people. And Lord, uh, we just ask that uh, you continue to bless our country. Watch over it. Amen. And Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity to um, use this platform that you have blessed us with um, for your glory. And we thank you for the courage that Bill and Odell have to have these conversations about common ground. And we thank you for the courage that people all over this region in this area, this country and the state um, have displayed in having these conversations. And we pray, God, that you would continue uh, to embolden us to have these bold conversations. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Odell, how you doing? Doing good, my friend. How you doing, Bill? Good. You have a good weekend? Yeah, you know, did the same. Um, had, a, had a great opportunity to drive down to Charleston, you know, check on mom. As you know, I go every other weekend down to Charleston as a long distance caregiver. And I'm very thankful to have those opportunities. And, you know, it's just, it's just good. It's good as we go through this thing called cycle of life. And, you know, had a chance to sit back and look at some of the news and everything and just read some newspapers. You know, when you start thinking about uh, that First, First Amendment bill, you know, we, we know it. We all uh, learned it. But, you know, when you start thinking about this, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof 
or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peacefully to assemble and to petition the government for redressing the grievance. So it's almost like, you know, the thing I, the thing I like and sometimes we, we don't like is the fact that we get to speak our mind. We get to tell our politicians. We get to tell the government. And Bill, I know you've traveled all over the world. So I know you've been some places where you wouldn't dare challenge the government. And we see that on TV all the time. What's your thought on all that? Well, you know, uh, it, it, you mentioned travel a lot. I did. And there are certain places that I would do things that were normal for uh, when I was in America. I would do in that country and people would pull me aside and say, no, 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 you can't do that. Uh, for example, I was in Cuba and uh, we were picked up uh, when you arrive in Cuba, you don't if you, we went in as a missionary. There's two airport uh, concourses and they're totally side, separate side of each of the airport. Uh, the one that the tourist comes in is beautiful, air conditioned, has shops. The one that the missionaries and the locals come in is a blockhouse, basically. And when we landed, we were told we we're going to we're going to be staying in that block house for about three hours. Well, they clear black house block 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 cinder okay, block house. Yeah, cinder block. Okay. So we we got there and they uh, they said, we're going to be here about three hours. And I said, well, what's taking some? Well, they're going to tell us that that your vehicle's not here to pick you up. And because we're only allowing you to be missionaries, you've got to get on that vehicle and get out of town and go to the mission field. You're not allowed to come into Havana or interact with any other people. So they said the, the, the real reality is the truck is waiting for us. We can see it, but they were going wow. through our luggage. They were going through our luggage because they wanted to know what we were bringing into the country. And they didn't want us to bring things like walkie talkies because people could communicate. Uh, the, obviously no weapons. But, you know, so what we did is we brought in bicycle parts because we had a bicycle ministry that the pastors would ride around on these bikes. And uh, we so we had a lot of bike parts. We had some Bibles. Uh, we had a, a, a couple electric organs and we had to put stickers on and make them look old because if they were new, they would charge us a tariff. So we got wow. through the whole thing and we got we got came out and they had all of our luggages open and things set out that they wanted to talk to us about. And those two organs were set out and they said, uh, these are not allowed to come in to the country. And uh, we said, why? And they said, we're not allowed to bring musical instruments in for some reason. And they said, but if you want to bring them in, it's uh, I think it was $20,000 tariff to bring in those two organs. So we, we said, forget it. We don't want them. Well, guess what? They probably went into somebody's hands. And so we were able to bring everything in. So we're sitting there and I look out and there's a sign and it's in Spanish and it's something about George Bush in America. And it was propaganda. It basically said America's bad, bad housing, bad race relations, high inflation, you know, all this stuff. And uh, George Bush is no good and all this. I'm like, holy cow. So we're driving and we're in the back of a dump truck converted dump truck. That's a whole nother story, how the guy rebuilt this dump truck. But it was beautiful because you could sit up and see as you went through uh, Havana. And uh, and as we're driving, there's a four-wheel tank following our truck. Wow. Military, uh, what do you call them? Uh, Jeeps. And so I started taking pictures because I thought, hey, this is pretty cool, you know? And uh, they pulled us. 
and they asked for my film. You're not allowed to take pictures of military and you're not allowed to take, like I wanted a picture of a, a policeman. They wouldn't let me do that. And uh, we were next to a military base doing our missions trip. We went up on a big hill and you could see where the military base was. And it was, it was a, it was a Naval base. And I had a pair of binoculars. And uh, so I, I took them out and I was looking at, cause it's just curious. And the guy, the local guys came running up the hill and they said, don't do that. And I said, why? And they said, because they're looking at me through binoculars. And if they see I'm looking at them, they're going to say, hmm, maybe there's something going on. And every morning at about 11 o'clock, the MiG jets would fly over not too far from us every morning. Well, Bill, what year was this? How long ago was this? This was uh, less than 10 years ago. Wow. And, and I asked him, why are those, are they doing maneuvers? He goes, no, they're just letting the people know the military's here in the church. You know, it's interesting. So we take a lot of our freedoms for granted, you know, freedom of the press. And, you know, with our podcast, are we, are we considered media now, Bill? Are we media as common ground media? Because, you know, scary if it is, huh? <laughs> it's scary if it is. I'm trying so to think you got, what media is this. Yeah, you, you got the internet now where no man has gone before. Um, everyone's a investigative reporter. We have echo chambers. You know, we got news. We got fake news. We got social nets. We got podcasts. And you messed around. You got the good looking black guy and Bill. Are we considered media? I, I, well, I, don't, I don't know. know. I don't know. I do know we're in 13 countries. People from 13 countries are listening to us. See, so no, I don't know that's, if that's powerful. I don't know mm-hmm. if that. So, even some people in Russia, but I think those are hackers. Oh, so you think? Okay, so you know it's interesting when we start talking about media and newspaper and TV. You know, I'm old enough to remember the Walter Cronkites, and we had two or three different stations. But our guest today, we have a professional, someone who's going to say, "Odell, you are our media. You're not media." Uh, as long as he don't say, Odell, you are the baby's daddy. You know, nah, as long as he don't say that, we okay, Bill. Bill, introduce, <laughs> introduce our guest. Hey, Tracy Clemens, come on our show. Welcome. Hey, everybody. It is a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Uh, just a little background. Tracy Clemens is a reporter in Fox 8 News and the triad here. And uh, he's one of their premier reporters and uh, i see him usually in the morning but throughout the day so i don't know when he sleeps and uh <laughs> so he's always busy but i started uh looking at his background on the website and you have a fantastic background how you got into uh being a reporter can you share that with us absolutely so i was born and raised in uh, chesapeake virginia right next door to norfolk and please forgive any crashing sounds that you hear behind me it is my four-year-old um playing in the next room over, trying to keep them as quiet as possible. Yeah, um, so I started, start, born and raised, Chesapeake, Virginia. Um, went to the University of Virginia for my bachelor's degree, studied government and African-American studies, went to the University of Maryland for a master's degree in journalism. And I have worked in several different places. I've been to Charlottesville, Virginia, Shreveport, Louisiana, St. Louis, Missouri, Houston, Texas, took a year off of TV be the press secretary for the Houston Independent School District, which is the seventh largest school district in America. Um, the news bug just wouldn't leave. And I ended up back here um, in Greensboro when the opportunity came to uh, anchor the morning show here at Fox 8. And it has been um, 
a really amazing adventure so far. You know, you asked about, you know, how I even got into it. You know, my dad took me to a, on a trip to New York City when I was 10 years old. And I'd always watched news, but he took me to NBC Studios. And the last stop on that tour was um, NBC Nightly News, the, the set, the anchor desk. And I sat there and I was like, man, I think, I think this, is, this is what I want to do. And my dad's like, oh, okay, that's cute. And, and, and we just kept it moving. And he realized I was serious. I actually have a picture of he and I um, on the anchor desk there. And it's wow. at my desk at work. Um, and, and it just never left me. I always, this is what I've always wanted to do. I thought about some other things that might make me more money. But I was like, you know, this is it. And so I'm here and loving it. Well, you know, uh, probably about a month ago, you interviewed us um, <laughs> at the radio station when we were doing a podcast and a radio show. And uh, I appreciate you coming in and doing that. Oh, it was my pleasure. I, I, I enjoyed telling that story. And it was, uh, if I must say, it was one of the ones I was more proud of. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Tell us about that program that you've developed and how that came about. So um, well, the program I, in black and white. That's it. In black and white. Yes, yes, yes. And Tracy, just for the record now, this is Odell, a good-looking black guy. So yes, you're sir, a good-looking black guy, but you're not the good-looking black guy. I so see, we have to I go see. ahead and establish all that at first and kind of go from there. And listen, any disclaimers? We know that you are, you are representing Fox 8, but any disclaimers? Because a lot of times when I go and I speak places, I tell folk, okay, now what I'm saying, I'm speaking for Odell Cleveland, not past Odell Cleveland at Mount Zion Baptist Church, especially when it's political things. Now, this is not a political show per se, but just want to give you that opportunity. Right. Absolutely. So, um, you know, since I am the morning anchor, you know, I'm always kind of representing Fox 8. But, you know, um, what I say here um, are not the thoughts and beliefs of Fox 8. Like this is this is Tracy Clemens um, anchor hat. We're taking the anchor hat off for a moment. This is Tracy Clemens talking here today. Now, to Bill's question, right. in black and white, we love that show. How did that even come about? <laughs> you know, um, that that segment uh, came about, in black and white came about with um, a really courageous conversation with my boss. Um, we He brought the idea to me um, probably about two weeks after George Floyd's death. Um, and he said, you know, he pulled me to, to his office. He said, Tracy, I really ha I have this idea. Um, that I really want us to start telling stories about race and race relations. Um, and, and I was very apprehensive about it because, I mean, we are a Fox affiliate and, you know, who stereotypically is known for watching Fox, you know, Fox News and Fox affiliates. And, you know, we were, I was wondering how it would be received um, among our viewers. Um, and I also was like, you know, how how long are we going to do this? Is this like a few months that we're going to do this story, these stories? Is it, a, you know, a couple of weeks? Like, what is it? And his answer was surprised me. It was as long as there are stories to tell, we are going to do this story. So it is a franchise that runs uh, weekly every Thursday evening. This story runs twice uh, at five and 11. Then we re-air it on Friday morning. So this story, these stories get three, three runs on Fox 8 uh, within 24 hours. And what, you know, I have been very pleased with the fact that I have never had to really work too hard to find the story because this really feeds itself. And, and we've now, we're now at a year and a half into doing these pieces. Is it Peabody Award time yet? Uh, you know, we're <laughs> going to present it for the Peabody, especially the Common you know Ground show with Bill and Odell. You know, I wish we were at Peabody Award time. I did. I will say I did submit it for um, for an award um, 
regional a regional award with uh, North and South Carolina stations, and I got second place for Congratulations. that. Uh, thank you, thank you. Um, definitely a, a big accomplishment. Um, we just missed out on Emmy on an Emmy nomination, but it's cool. Um, next year, there you go. So Another your year. boss came to you. You know, it's interesting, Bill. So this is about that trust. This is what Bill and myself have. So your boss came to you and said, hey, Tracy, you know, the black guy on Fox News, fill it. Hey, man, I got an idea. I want you to go out there and not be the token black guy, but go out there and be the black guy and talk about race stuff to the Fox audience. And you're like, hmm, I don't know. I mean, take us through the process in your mind of saying, wait a minute now, now I'm doing pretty good, the people love me, all this stuff, and you want me to go there, because it had to be something inside of you, Tracy, to make you want to do that. It's just like when Bill and myself go out here, and we know everything we say is going to tick somebody off. So mm -hmm. help, help us understand why, what's inside of you to make you take this chance? You know, um, I was very apprehensive because um, I am one of, at the time, I was one of two black anchors full time um, at the station. Um, I didn't want to be the token black guy telling stories about race. And I also didn't want, I, I know how human nature is. Um, and I didn't want people to look at the black guy telling stories about race and then automatically tune it out. Um, right. One thing that I really had to rest on is there was no one, and I have, I work for, I work with some amazing, amazing people, many of whom I've had conversations with about these topics behind, behind the scenes. Uh, we've had some really good conversations at my station, um, but I don't know that anybody else at the station was positioned uniquely like I am to be able to tell this story. You know, I said a few moments ago, you know, my, my second major in college was African-American studies. So I've been looking at this race thing um, for a long time, plus the lived experience, you know, it put me in a position of, if anybody wants to tell this story, it needs to be me. And my patient, they know I'm a perfectionist, right? Um, and and I'm, I'm always the one that's like, why didn't we ask this question? Why didn't we ask that question? So it's kind of like, if we're gonna do it right, if we're gonna do it the way it needs to be done, um, they are, they knew that, you know, I was probably gonna have something to say about it if it wasn't me, you know? Um, but one thing I will say is that so many stations around the country um, dedicated themselves to this work um, in the beginning of the protests last summer, when everything was kind of, when it was trendy and popular to, to embark on this type of work. And a lot of my colleagues around the, around the industry wondered how consistent, you know, how long this could go. Um, and, and if this was going to be the first thing to get cut out of, Preston, go back in, please. Go back over there, please. If this was going to be the first thing to get cut out of budgets, or if it was going to be the first thing to go when they decided, you know, um, where to make changes in the, in, in the direction of different newscasts. Um, and I am fortunate that my boss has been committed to telling this story. You know, in his words, you know, Tracy, you've been telling these stories already. We're just putting a name on it now. Um, and, and, and we're going to do it consistently as opposed to sporadic. Um, and so for me, it is a matter of these are important stories to me. Um, and in all of my years in this industry, I know, you know, when I go places, you know, I, I understand what I represent. You know, I understand that when, when black people see me on TV, they're proud, but there's also an expectation 
to represent and to tell our stories. And for me, this has been, you know, an opportunity to do stories that uh, come from a unique perspective um, that nobody else um, at the station or any station is really telling on a weekly basis like this. Um, and we've really gotten um, some really good reaction from a lot of the stories. We've been able to tell a lot of stories that um, hadn't been told before and highlight organizations and people that are doing some amazing work and have been doing amazing work for years. And now they finally are getting a chance to, to shine in the arena and on the platform that they've been dominating for so long. Yeah. Now give us some examples of some of the subject matter you did. I know you did Odell and I, but what are some of the other ones? Let's see. I have, um, I did a, uh, a story on a book that a uh, black mom and her son wrote together uh, called Mama, if you just, uh, Would You Just Hold My Hand? Uh, it was about basically the strength of the, the relationship between a black mom and a black son. Um, I've done, I think my most controversial one was a story I did on critical race theory. You know, you say critical race theory and everybody's just like, oh my God, critical race theory. Um, you know, and, and that was um, one of my more memorable ones because I actually had a chance to interview a law professor who teaches critical race theory at Wake Forest. So he's an absolute expert on what it is. Um, and I also um, interviewed a very courageous superintendent um, who talked about, you know, the fact that it's not going to be taught in his school district, but they are going to talk teach history. Um, they can go get a lion for me. Can I what? Go get a lion for me. A lion? Yeah. Where is the lion? I'm sorry, y'all. That's okay. No problem. No go problem. Ahead. It's good. You go get it. You go get it. I'm going to be right here watching you. Okay. Um, he doesn't like going upstairs by himself. Um, well, I love the fact that you are a dad. You know, yeah. sometimes, and me and Bill talk about this all the time, sometimes we get so caught up in who we are in our professions and uh -huh. who we are in the community. But how about our role as leader in our family? So I commend you for you. loving your son, teaching your son. And I know Bill does the same thing. Thank Amen. you so much. Well said. Well said. Thank you. Um, but you were asking about... Um, about some of the stories that we've told. I mean, the critical race theory one was really, um, I think one of my pieces that sticks with me, just because, you know, when we embarked on that, we know how much, how touchy of an issue that is. Um, and we wanted to get it right because my, my, even just the precipice for doing the story was, we're hearing a lot about it, but do people really know what critical race theory is? And if you look at the comment sections, you, you get the calls that we've gotten, you read emails that come in daily, um, it is clear that people don't. Um, and not even some of our politicians who talk about it um, on both sides of the aisle know what critical race theory um, really is. And so when you know, we did, try to when take- When did politicians, Tracy, when did politicians need to know what they're talking about to talk? You know, I love politicians. <laughs> A lot of good friends of, of mine are, but- a lot of times politicians will uh, lick their finger, put it in the air, and based on which way the wind is blowing, then they will, their comments will go that way too. And critical yeah. race theory has been one of these political footballs that politicians and others has used to just do all kind of messy stuff with. Yeah. That's my thoughts. Yeah. Uh I won't comment on that, but what I will say is, um, you know, this is the type of misinformation that goes around, whether it's CRT or just race relations or history in general, has reminded me of how important the work is of journalists. 
Um, because at the end of the day, it is our job to wade through the tough issues and help our and make sense of it for our viewers. Um, and I think we have really, really been able to do a good job of doing that um, and putting things into context, um, putting things into context for them, where it's, whether it's critical race theory or just protests in general, um, you know, and even giving people a platform to say, this is my lived experience, whether you want to agree with it or you, you accept it or not. This is my experience. This is what I've dealt with for years. Um, and, and you're going to hear me whether you want to or not. Um, giving people that platform, I think, um, and also giving the platform for people to say, I hear people now more than I ever have. Um, and seeing the work that people are doing to open their hearts and their ears to what their neighbors are saying. I think that has really been a fascinating and rewarding piece of what we're doing here. Yeah, I agree. You know, it's tough because you've got a, such a condensed amount of time to try and get that across and educate people. Like you couldn't go in in-depth critical race theory uh, for an hour. Uh, you wouldn't get that kind of time and, uh, no. to air it. Now, you might be able to do it on the side and say, go to our website and look at it. But th that's one of the things. But I think what it, what's important is that the press uh, take note and, and in some way do the sound bits that here's, you know, here's here's where people are thinking about this particular issue. And here's another way people are thinking about it. And someplace mm -hmm. in the middle is the truth. Absolutely. And uh, and because, you know, a lot of particularly nowadays, we're so charged up after January 6th and all the other stuff that's gone on. Uh, we had a guest on the other day and he was talking about we need to start thinking about how we're going to handle 2024 election because it's going to be contested. And we saw violence when they didn't accept election January 6th, are they going to be empowered to have violence at the state level? And he says, we need to get our heads start thinking about that. It may never happen, but we need to prepare ourselves in case it does. And I was like, holy cow, that's, that's pretty forward thinking, but I never thought January 6th would happen. I don't think anybody did. Nobody did. Well, I'll tell you, it's an interesting story. I had a guy that worked for me here. Uh, he's done some work around the house. He's a contractor, good old guy. Uh, and he told me, and I didn't know there was a, an event January 6th. I didn't know Trump had tweeted, let's everybody come. And, and uh, he, uh, he says, and I can't remember what day he said it was. It could have been January 6th. He says, there's going to be a huge event. And I, I said, well, how do you know this? He goes, I can't say, but I have friends in Fort Bragg and ex-military and all this stuff. And, you know, I, the sense I got was there's going to be violence. And all I did was put that away because I said, well, we'll find out. Now, he's come back and seen me since then. I haven't brought it up. You know, he, he basically implied they're going to overthrow the election. And uh, so I, you know, I started thinking about these these factions that we've got in society that have allowed to bubble up to the surface. And we need the press to make make us aware of them, make us uh, aware of what they're trying to represent. Uh, so we as individuals can make a sound judgment. Is that something we like or not? And a lot of times, some of these folks uh, that, you know, were in Charlottesville that walked around with the Nazi and stuff, that's not America. That is not America one bit. So I, I applaud you folks for 
stepping in that space and reporting it when it's difficult, because sometimes you folks become the victim. We do. We do. I'll tell you this. Um, So many of my colleagues, you know, it it is it's tough out there um, in this in the streets, whether you're pro, uh, whether you are our field reporters are in a protest, covering a protest or even just going about doing their everyday job, you know, out in communities where there's such a mistrust of the media. And I put the media in air quotes because the media is such a wide uh, a wide term, if you will. Um, it's such a wide term. Um, and so many different representatives within, within the media are, um, you know, people, people think that we are the same as a Fox News or CNN. Uh, and, and, and when in actuality, local TV folks are, we, we, first of all, we don't get paid enough to insert our own opinion <laughs> into any story, you know? Um, the, the people who do all that opinionated journalism, they get paid a lot more money than we do um, to, to uh, and on, on all sides of the aisle, on all sides of different, you know, ideologies and whatnot. Um, and, and so, you know, but one of the things that I, I appreciate about a place like this, you know, a lot of my friends work in larger markets and, you know, I've, I've, I've worked in larger markets. And one of the things I appreciate is, the trust that has been gained over the years, the trust that has been built over the years. You know, we work, I work, this is a market where people really do watch local news and they trust local news. And generally speaking, for the most part, we keep things right down the middle. Um, I was very encouraged the other day um, when we were going through some of the parades, um, the holiday parades. And I had some people stop us. You know, I had one viewer who says she used to watch a particular channel um, that is not available to her right now. She switched to us recently. Um, and she's like, y'all keep it. Y'all tell both sides of every story. And I love it. And I'm never going back. And it was one of those things that, you know, it, it kind of, it really encouraged me and motivated me. Cause I'm like, we're doing something right. You know, we get so many emails and comments from people who are just frankly ticked off. And what we always say is if we have ticked off both sides, if we have both sides saying we were biased or we were this or we were that, then we have done our job because it means we've given equal time and equal attention um, and equal treatment to both sides. Yes, you're right. You know, I have a style of asking 10 questions at one time. So I'm going to try, I'll, I'll try to, to answer one of five up. questions. Thank okay. you. So, so when you think of this, you understand what news is and what news isn't. So when you start looking at internet, podcasts, and all this kind of stuff, um, that's media. But for a Black person, and Odell is a lifelong Democrat. I've been a Democrat my whole life. Uh, That's what lifelong means to me. However, I have this particular theory. I believe that the Democratic Party takes the Black vote for granted and the Republican Party ignores the Black vote. I believe that the Black vote is caught between a political rock and a hard place. So I've come up with a solution over time that I believe that the Black vote and the Black concerns like um, dealing with the anti-lynching law, dealing with the voters' right law, all those things that's like, that's a no-brainer, but for some reason, Congress don't have the wherewithal to handle those things. So my thing is this, 
if 17% of African-Americans would be registered Republicans and 33% of African-Americans would be independents and 50% of African-Americans can continue to be Democrats. And the reason I say that, that way I think that that 17% is enough that won't allow the Republican parties to ignore us, but the 33% as an independent is enough to make both parties pay attention and if you take the 33 and 17, I went to school in South Carolina in the 60s, so dot, 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 but that's 50. So that 50 of independents and Republicans will make that 50 of Democrats pay attention also. And I think that's the way that African-Americans can have a decent shot at a political system that I think we're misplaying our hands. It's almost like if you're playing uh, Bidwis or spades or trumps or whatever is this is how you play the game because a lot of my friends i have some real good friends tracy you know usually white people say i got some good black friends i got some real good black friends who are republicans and they're solid good people we just don't agree on a lot of things i have some real good black friends who are independents and of course i have some real good black friends who are democrats my what i hate that happens quite often is that my Democrat friends will attack my Republican friends for being a black Republican. And then my Republican friends will say, well, you still own the Democrat plantation. And then my independent black friends kind of looking like, oh, I ain't getting into all that. So that's Odell's 2000 questions in one. So I ask you the thought as a professional black person, what do you think of my theory of black folks should be like anyone else who have the right to be a Republican? Uh, independent or Democrat? This is a conversation that I see playing out on my social media all the time. Um, and and I, I, I see a lot of people wondering why there even has to be a two party either or in the first place. Um, but I always question, I, I always go back to this. We can talk about Congress all we want, but the power for any demographic lies in the local and the state level. We, before we get to Congress, it's cool to talk about Congress, but it's those state representatives that make the laws, that make a lot of the appointments. It's those local, those local elections that are in the off year, in the off month, where the power is really placed that then leads to the congressional stuff. I always say if we, if people would participate more, imagine if we had the same turnout during a president, you know, during that, if, imagine if we had the turnout that we get for presidential elections every four years in November, if we had that turnout in a March primary, we may have different results, even when it comes to who's on the ballot in November. Um, and I think that is where um, I think there's some apathy. And I think if we would focus more on getting out the vote um, of all black folks, not just black Democrats, black Republicans, black independents, black people in general, um, and, and, and also getting black people of different ideologies in the same room to talk, um, where, where I go. think we would find, as, as the podcast says, the common ground, because at the end of the day, we are all facing the same struggle, um, regardless of political ideology or affiliation. Um, black people are, are, we, many of us are facing the same struggle, whether we choose to acknowledge it or not, um, we all still 
have some of the same issues. Listen, thank you so much for your honesty, because when you sit there and think, you know, we have a lieutenant governor, a lot of people um, complain to me about, and I don't complain about our lieutenant governor. I said, I applaud the fact that he is doing what he believes in. And I leave it there. Do I agree with everything? No. Do I disagree with everything? No. So at the end of the day, I love the fact that you, you are absolutely correct. Because if we got involved on the local level, the city council, county commissioner, state representative um, on those levels and keep, keep it going, because at the end of the day, and I guess Bill's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, y'all talking about black stuff, but at the end of the day, we have to continue to fight for representation so that no one takes us for granted. No one says that like I had a good friend, a uh, Jewish rabbi friend of mine years ago, um, called me after a national election that the Democrats didn't win. And he said, Wodell, the black folks didn't turn out to vote. We need you all to continue to turn out the way you all turned out for President Barack Obama first time. And I'm like, you don't understand. Black folks turned out for President Obama the first time wasn't because of President Obama. It was bigger than the presidential race. It's the opportunity that we could have a black president. So a lot of times people like, you know, get into all that. All right, Bill, pull me out of the water, yeah. Bill. Give me a lifeline, Bill. Give me a lifeline. <laughs> now you guys are doing good. You're doing good. The uh, I, I agree. I, you know, as soon as you say I'm a Democrat or Republican, you're in that box. Okay. And, yeah. and, and sometimes that box you think about is the extreme end of it. Uh, and it's really not. Uh, we had Marty Cotis on and he said, you know, he's been called a rhino because he's a Republican, you know, re Republican in name only called a rhino. And uh, he says, I'm not. He says, I'm I'm just I, I have my viewpoint. It doesn't agree with some of the Republican things and uh, that have happened, you know, and he's he's not in favor of Trump as a Republican. So it's kind of interesting. Uh, but the uh, so you get your last word. But before we do that, I loved listening to your son in the background playing that was so cool and um, he's having so much fun i think when we get done with the podcast you need to go play with some of the stuff he's whatever he's playing with toys he's playing with you need to get in there yes sir i will do that <laughs> it was great i was smiling the whole time so go ahead your turn last last word about common ground so um you know, people often look at one thing that I've just found is that I have learned that there are people who are genuinely interested in finding common ground. You know, I'll briefly share a quick experience. You know, I, I always think back, you know, when people say you've never dealt with racism. You've never dealt with this or that. And I just remember back to high school um, when I got into the University of Virginia um, and some of my my white friends did not. Um, it, people who I've been cool with since middle school, all of a sudden were, you only got in because you're black. And that is an experience that sticks with me. Um, and it's an experience that I share once I kind of know people um, who, who, real, you know, who realize that as articulate as I am, as well-spoken and as, as educated and, and you know, I guess credentialed as I am, for lack of a better term, I've still been through certain things that, that, you know, I've kind of hurt, you know? Um, but one thing that I have found is that, you know, that as time has gone by, um, you know, I think things are changing. People want to find that common ground. Sometimes people just don't know how to do it. Um, and I, I, I am just thankful for the opportunity 
to share common ground through your podcast and through the stories that we tell in, in black and white every week, because it is always my, my goal. You know, how can I push the conversation forward? How can I make a difference in the conversation and in my community around me? And knowing that this race conversation is something that is very important to me and that I am passionate about and always have been, uh, even back to talking about race issues with my dad when I was nine years old in the middle of a Dillard's, you know, um, when, when, when he thought I was having an identity crisis. Um, you know, I'm just glad to be able to contribute something and help people find ways to have the conversations that then lead to common ground. Every week, our goal is just to make sure, like, let's not talk about the controversy and, and dwell on that, but let's talk about the conversations. Let's talk about the people who are doing this work and, and talk to people who have experienced the work and who are going through transformation right now. Um, and, and as we do those, as we tell these stories, um, I think there are people who are being, we're, we're planting the seed of at least people who may not have wanted to hear from their neighbor of a different race two years ago, may at least be open to it now because of a story they've seen or because of an experience they've seen from someone to whom they can relate through my in black and white pieces. And so, you know, every Thursday we're gonna keep telling these stories until there are no more stories to tell, but being um, right here in the Piedmont Triad, there are going to be stories. Um, and until my boss says, Tracy, you're done with this, um, we're going to be doing them. So well, Tracy, how do folks way. find Thank you, Tracy, for sharing that. How do folks find your, 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 your program? Um, so you can go to myfox8.com and um, there's a drop down menu uh, that says news. Click on the news tab. And uh, there's a whole section called in black and white. And it has every single in black and white story that we've done dating back to June of 2020, where my first one was with the Hope Academy in Greensboro, all the way up until the last one that I did last week, which was, oh my goodness, what was that story? Don't get me to lie. I don't remember the last one I That's did. Okay. I so That's far. okay. You're, um, and if you have an idea for a story, you can also email me at uh, Tracy, T-R-A-C-Y, dot Clemens, C-L-E-M-O-N-S, at W-G-H-P.com. You can also find me on Facebook, Tracy Clemens News, and I'm always on Twitter as well. That's my new favorite. Uh, Tracy on TV is the name, is the handle. Thank you, Tracy. Outstanding. Thank you for being our guest. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Find Bill and Odell online at thecommonground.show. This podcast is a production of BG Ad Group. Darren Sutherland, executive producer. Jeremy Powell, creative director. Jacob Sutherland, director. All rights reserved. Whether you're a big, medium, or small business, managing and growing the bottom line is important. Focus CFO brings the experience and financial acumen of a Fortune 100 chief financial officer to your company at a fraction of the cost. PL help, internal reporting processes, or any business transitions or events. Focus CFO will help you and your team have a CFO in your company's back pocket. Focus CFO. Learn more at focuscfo.com. This podcast is brought to you by Yes Weekly, the triad's largest circulated and best read weekly magazine. You can also find us online at yesweekly.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Yes Weekly, your trusted news leader for local arts, entertainment, music, food, and more for nearly 18 years.